MSW Media. Hey, it's Kimberly, host of the Start Me Up podcast. If you like your politics with some loose talk and salty language, you're going to love my show. I interview the coolest people like Mary Trump, Kathy Griffin, and DNC chair Jamie Harrison. The Start Me Up podcast has an easygoing, casual style and a strong emphasis on left-leaning politics. We also have frank discussions about sex and more than a few spirited rants. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup or wherever you get your podcasts and start listening today. We're pleased to be sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show, an excellent podcast you should definitely check out. I enjoy it. I think you will, too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's Jordan, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen now. And we also want to thank Feels for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Feels is a better way to feel better. For 50% off your first order plus free shipping, go to feels.com slash cleanup. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everyone, welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, April 27th. This is episode 67. And I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. And with me up from the dungeon of lawyers <laughs> is Andrew Torres. Allison, thank you for letting me out. Thanks for having me. And uh, <laughs> how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. It was a big, long weekend. I've been uh, traveling. Yeah, you were at a big old fancy party and, you know, I'm, uh, yes. I'm slightly yeah. jealous. <laughs> and I have to say, if if that house is D-list money, I want to be on the D-list. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but just beautiful atmosphere. Amazing host, Kathy Griffin and her husband, Randy, made us some delicious food. We talked politics with the likes of Lauren Windsor and Rosanna Arquette and Lincoln's Bible and... Of course, my manager and my friend Frank were there, and Ian Harvey, the comedian. It was just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And now I'm home with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to go anyway. So you know, <laughs> I, you know, and I'm so. Uh, Kathy tweeted uh, that I was coming over to her house, and I must have gotten a hundred emails. Where's my invitation? Yeah, yeah. Who's your plus one? When she has a big old party, I'll invite everybody. But it was it was really great. So thank you for asking. Alice, Allison, I'm here with my plus 75. That's good. <laughs> there just, you go. Just a couple of close friends. <laughs> but we did have a, a, a great weekend. And you had a good weekend. I did. My uh, 
son competed at the uh, Tournament of Champions in Lincoln Douglas debate. It's his final tournament. He's a senior. He's going off to the University of Rochester next year. Uh, well, you know, this year, a couple of months. And uh, finished uh, three and three. We think we're still waiting for them to tabulate. He might have gotten a uh, speaker award. So I, I'm just, you know, the, these are the hundred best kids in the country. And, um, you know, he was he was right there uh, uh, kind of neck and neck. We're really, really close to making the elimination rounds. It's my heart. My heart goes out. It's a, this is a thing we've done together for uh, for a long time. So uh, I just could not be more proud of him. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet you couldn't be more proud. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was terrible at debate. I was the clueless version up there talking <laughs> about partying with the Hadians. Um, so uh, I, I am always in awe of folks who can hold their own, especially when you have to remember all those rules and logical fallacies. And it, it's, it's the work he does is just, it's incredibly impressive. But uh, you know who else is incredibly impressive? How do you like that for a segue? Our, our patrons. Our patrons. <laughs> nice. Noise. Uh, all right. New patrons. Everything important. Thank you. Terry Vandermark. John Kelker. Lynn C. Bryce. Sebastian appreciates your thoughtful investigation. And Nicholas Guyette. Yeah. And also a big thank you to new patrons. Wendy Scahill. Jeremy Asinghurst. Mary Lou Dye, Cindy Lynch. It's about time, Cindy. Come on. Allison, different Allison. Uh, Sherry Theron, Pool Time with Swim Allen, Samuel Ward, and Operation Shame John Roberts into supporting us on Patreon. Oh, I, I hope like that it. works. I, you know, we've been successful in shaming John Roberts in other ways. So uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. He doesn't need any help from us. Uh, I like pool time with Swim Allen. That sounds yeah, that's like a, a, sh- that's like a, a show good. from the 60s. I really, I, I, would, I would watch that show. And if you would like to join them, you can head over to patreon.com slash aisle45pod. Sign up for as little as a buck an episode. And coming up on Friday, May 13th at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we are going to have a Zoom hang for patrons. So you want to get in while the getting's good for a buck an episode. Again, that's patreon.com slash aisle45pod, and you can join us on that Zoom call and get the ad-free feed, and of course, come up with an amazing name for us to <laughs> read um, on the show. So thank you very much for all of your support. Yeah, absolutely. And now uh, let's, uh, let's get on with the show. All right. Main story this week. Mark Meadows. <laughs> burr, burr, burr. Yeah. yeah. And his mom <laughs> picked a good name when she called him Mark. Yeah. Because that is what he is. <laughs> These are, yeah, we're going to, so, all right, here's what we know, right? December 2021, Mark Meadows provided 2,319 text messages to the January 6th committee, appeared to be cooperating, and then promptly reversed course. Um, I have some thoughts on that, I imagine, so do you. Uh <laughs> refused to appear for his deposition, has been held in contempt of Congress by the House. That's big against a former member. We've talked about that. That has been referred to the DOJ, which uh, frustratingly has made no public actions, right? I asked yeah, Randall. Other yeah. than other than uh, it's an ongoing matter. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, I asked eternal optimist and uh, defender of prosecutors everywhere, Randall Eisen, about this when he was on opening arguments. And, and he said, look, it, it doesn't mean that the DOJ isn't moving against Meadows, right? It, it means that they're being quiet and tight-lipped and good in investigations do that and, you know, everything. I have to say, 
when the House referred Steve Bannon to the DOJ for contempt of Congress, they acted in what, three weeks? So 22 days, I think. Yeah. So, again, I can't blame you if you're sitting there going, well, this looks bad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, I did some quick back of the envelope math. And if you take the amount of evidence in the Meadows case versus the Bannon case, 10,000 pages versus about 90,000 pages. <laughs> and, you know, nine times 22, 1,898 days. What's that? that's yeah seven months right i think okay okay. that's not really how it works no it is not but But we're almost there so hey who knows and now of course cnn has acquired those text messages and boy are they interesting (laughs) the overriding themes developing here are one meadows was inundated with idiotic and contradictory conspiracy theories starting on election day itself and remember he only handed over text messages from election day to inauguration day yep. so everything before that all of the other idiotic contradictory conspiracy theories that came before that weren't included in this tranche of text messages but specifically meadows was repeatedly warned that january 6th could turn violent as a chief of staff to the former guy this is obviously highly informative as to what donald trump's actual state of mind was leading up to and on january 6th right i mean if he had an inclination or knowledge that there could be violence when you think of his words at the ellipse with that in mind and also the fact that I think we learned in these text messages that he didn't make one single phone call to any law enforcement (laughs) agency as testified to by a bunch of assholes, right? Christopher Miller, uh, Donahue, Rosen, and I think uh, McCarthy, Secretary of the Army, was like, no, we didn't hear a word from him. Yep, yep. So... Let's start at the beginning. Um, This is a text that was sent on Election Day itself from Sean Hannity asking how he can use the propaganda mill outlet that he controls to help stump for Trump. Um, And and again, you'll see why I think this is somewhat relevant. So Hannity to Meadows. Hey, NC going to be okay? (laughs) Meadows back. Stress every vote matters. Get out and vote on radio. Then Sean Hannity responds. Yes, sir. On it. Any place in particular we need a push. And Meadows says, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Arizona, Nevada. And Hannity replies, got it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I I just want to point out, uh, again, our listeners don't need to be reminded of this. But if you need a three-second talking point against Uncle Frank, who's like, well, you know, MSNBC is... Uh, You will not find Rachel Maddow sending a text message to Joe Biden or Joe Biden's chief of staff on Election Day going, hey, how can I help you win the election? Right. Like that's the difference between being a left wing talk show that mostly supports the president and being a propaganda outlet and arm of the campaign. This is Sean Hannity, uh, you know, prostrating himself before the Trump campaign saying, uh, where can I push? Where can I do? How are we going to be okay? How can I push your message? It, it also is a pretty strong indication of the state of mind inside the Trump campaign on election day that they were not winning by 92 billion votes or whatever it is that, you know, Trump has said. They knew they were losing this election on election day. Yeah. And I think legally there are, there are, well, there's legal implications, right? Between being a journalist and Mm -hmm. acting as a political advisor or a campaign advisor. I think that there could be legal differences there uh, with regards to first amendment stuff uh, and things like that. Although, uh, you know, not that there's necessarily any criminality here, but again, 
January 6th is about finding the problems inherent in the system. Violence inherent in the system. I'm being repressed. <laughs> and, and this is one of them. Uh, watery tarts lying in ponds distributing swords might be a superior <laughs> form of government to what we have right now. Certainly better than the Electoral <laughs> College. But in, but no, is, look. Is, is uh, Judge Janine the watery tart throwing... Scimitars of people. <laughs> she hurled us. All right. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting deep in the Monty Python weeds here. But in, in, in any event, uh, I don't think there is criminal. There, there There's not going to be any action taken against Sean Hannity. But this is 100% a violation of the coordination rules, right? Like, you, you cannot be Fox News calling up the president of the United States and saying, you tell us where and in what states we need to direct our messages. But, you know, there will be yeah. no consequences. Now, um, the next set are from former White House political director Matt Schlapp. This is the guy who decided to shape the CPAC stage like a Nazi symbol, by the way. Uh, and this is on the day after the election, when it was obvious to Trump's team that he was doing badly. And he asks, presumably euphemistically, for, quote, Please get four or five killers in remaining counts. Need outsiders who will torch the place. Local folks won't do it. Lawyers and operators, get us in these states. Worried that Rana will not. in or Worried that Rana not in MIs, presumably Michigan. Yeah, and I think that's Rana Romney McDonald, right? So, or Rana Ronald McDonald. I like how I, like how I, let, I let that one say. Rana, uh, former Romney uh, Daniel, whatever the hell her name is now, right? Yeah, and then Meadow replies, I may need to get you and Mercy to go to PA. That's Schlepp's wife, by the way, Mercedes Schlepp. Yeah, and who, because they're all grifters, was, you know, also working for the Trump team at the time. Um, yeah, it, it look... In and of itself, uh, you know, you see kind of the high end rhetoric, but but I think this is illustrative, right? Like we need our big guns, our lawyers to come in to these states where we've lost because our local people won't do it. They know that this is nonsense. We've got to get, you know, a kraken out there in order to make this happen. And Hello, ultimately, guys. that's what they got. Yeah. 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 Rudy's. Uh, and so uh, there's a couple of texts coming up next, uh, right around the time the election was officially called for Biden, right? Mm, November yeah, yeah. 7th. What do we have here? Yeah. So now we're we're T plus three days, November 6th. This is that the official call is November 7th. We're very, very close, right? Everybody knows what's happening here. And we get a text from Arizona representative and plague rat Andy Biggs. Um, this is somebody who early and often pushed the narrative for stolen votes in Arizona. Completely false said, you know, 10,000 people were denied the right to vote. None of it has any bearing in fact. So um, here's what he said on November 6th. And I'm going to try and parse this. I should warn you that his Command of the English language, grammar, and the ability to, you know, touch all the correct keys on the phone are all on par with his ethics. So mm. uh, you get, I'm sure you have heard of this proposal. It is to encourage the state legislatures to appoint a look doors. I think that means lock doors, right? In the various states where there's been shenanigans. If I understand right, most of those states have Republican legislature apostrophe S. Because that's how we pluralize things. It seems to be comport 
it seems to be comport. Don't use comport if you can't pluralize a noun without Are you using trying a to say capiche. Yeah, well, don't because it would hurts say, my ears when you say. Would you say, say I have a plethora of piñatas? <laughs> it's a sweater. <laughs> it seems to be comport with glorified Bush as well as the Constitution. Now, let me attempt it. We're in the middle of the text, but let me attempt to translate that into English. How I, did he know my stripper name? <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> i i think it, this is the clear sign by the way because that there there is no way that andy biggs knows that there was a supreme court case called bush v gore let alone would call it glorified but it, it just makes no sense whatsoever this has got to be an indication that somebody like john eastman was already working the room as early as november 6th as early as three days out from the election, because this idiot cannot tie his shoelaces, right? He, he, there was zero chance that he thought of uh, this is equivalent to the dicta in Bush v. Gore from the, uh, from the per curiam opinion that says state legislatures control the ultimate right to select electors to the to the constant to, to for the uh, presidency of the United States. There was zero chance he knows. You that. don't think he he knows that, or the, maybe he just knows that my stripper slash slasher film is <laughs> Gore v. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it seems to be comport with glorified Bush as well as the Constitution. By the way, again, we've been through on this show, on your show, on my show, that uh, this argument is nonsense. But uh, here, here we here we are. And well, highly controversial. It can't be much more controversial than the lunacy that we're sitting out there now. Um, there's some missing apostrophes. Anyway, it would be pretty difficult because he because he he means it would take governors and legislators with collective will and backbone to do that. Is anybody on the team researching and considering lobbying for that? This is crucial, right? D despite the fact that this is written in crayon, right? This is hey. Has the Trump administration considered getting the state legislatures in Republican dominated states to throw out the valid electoral votes, lock the doors and just appoint new electors on their own? And Meadows replies, I love it. <clears throat> OK, so. This now what I'm seeing, what I'm understanding here is that if it is a conspiracy to defraud the United States or a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding or obstruction of official proceeding or even seditious conspiracy that requires force. So let's throw that out. If, if that, if this is that right, this seven, uh, seven state elector scheme is that a criminal conspiracy, then this implicates Mark Meadows in that criminal conspiracy. Does it not? I, I think that's right. Uh, I, I think this certainly shows an awareness and understanding of the of of what ultimately transpired on one six, right? The flimsy, false legal justification for trying to convince Mike Pence to single handedly throw out the uh, electoral votes uh, in the randomly disputed states. If this, what you still have to establish is corrupt intent. Right. That is the, the the predicate question. And again, you and I have gone back and forth. Right. Donald Trump will be aided by the too stupid to crime rule. Right. 
We have talked about that. It is difficult to demonstrate corrupt intent. But but I want to give voice to the other side of that, right, which is juries decide on intent crimes all the time. And the way in which you judge whether somebody believes what they say is by gathering together extrinsic evidence like this, right? Mm-hmm. If I say once, oh, yeah, no, I, I totally won by 11 billion votes and this and that. But, but you have pages, mounds of documents going back and forth in which you have told me that argument is nonsense. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, but I got other argument, right? Like that, that, that helps to illustrate that, that yes, I, I, well, I did have corrupt intent. I either knew these arguments were false or I deliberately closed off my ears and said, I don't care. I don't want to figure out whether they're false or not. I want to continue to go ahead with this anyway. And, and in my view, either one of those is sufficient to demonstrate corrupt intent. Not to mention you've got Engel and Short and Cipollone, the White House counsel, all telling Meadows, at least we know, that this is not legally sound. So, yep, you know, there's that. It's whether or not they told Trump, right? Does that implicate Trump? But we're talking about Meadows right now. And and now I, I want to ask you what, what you make of this one, because this one's interesting. November 13th, one week later, right? Just almost a week after uh, Biden was called the, the winner. Senior campaign official Jason Miller texts Mark Meadows, quote, emailed you Dominion backgrounder. I guess that's idiot speak for <laughs> PowerPoint deck. Uh, lots there regarding functionality problems. Not much there on Dem Soros conspiracy connections. <laughs> <laughs> we'll defer to you on whether or not to share full report with POTUS. POTUS is clearly hyped up on them, not just from his tweets, but he also called me and Justin separately last night to complain. <laughs> so... This is one of those things that, in my view, cuts both ways, right? It, it I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by this, um, given that every piece of evidence from throughout the Trump presidency where, uh, you know, it seemed preposterously impossible that he could actually believe the bullshit he was spewing seemed to indicate that he believed the preposterous bullshit that he was spewing. Right. And, and, and we've seen a lot of that, right? We saw John Eastman saying, well, you know how that guy is. Like once he gets an idea in his head, you can't talk about anything. Right. It, it, there's a lot of that, which, which again would go to Trump's favor of no, I really believe you look at the Raffensperger call and he repeats just like a word salad that would make your Uncle Frank blush for an hour at Brad Raffensperger, right? It's just like, yeah, but what about they stole the ballot boxes and, uh, you know, they've got dead people. And what about the ones that got run through three times and it's just a gish gallop of bullshit? So on the one hand, right, that seems to indicate, OK, maybe this guy did believe that he really won, you know, on the other hand. The fact that it's coming up this early and this often also indicates, right, this is why I say it's the double-edged sword, the fact that people around him had to say, no, Mr. President, right, you're getting stupid advice from people who are on coke-selling pillows, right? Like, do not listen to them. Uh, go, continue, to, right? Like, and so th- that's why, that's why, in my view, this could sort of go both ways, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I see it because I I would be like, look, why would I call and complain to Jason and Justin if uh, I, I didn't think there was a problem? Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. And and that's and that's a that's a, a, a potentially exculpatory piece of evidence. I, I also like the fact that the 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 PowerPoint that the Trump campaign puts together is insufficiently conspiracy theory enough to actually present to the president. Right. And by the way, like when, when you believe your own theories, I don't you stop calling them conspiracy theories. Right. Like I, I know that's what I do. Right. When I'm like, I suspect X is happening. When I send that out, I'm not like, hey, I got the latest conspiracy theory for you. No, like, like it's supposed to actually be evidence at that point. So I, I, I thought. Right. You would say not much there on the Dem Soros connection. It right. Would, no, they said not much there on the Dem Soros conspiracy connection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because okay. I think cool. Jason Miller knows that's crap. So, yeah, all right. Now we're in. Now we're in December. Um. And I actually think this one has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. This is Jared Kushner, right? By all accounts, I mean, you know, he sent you the email, right? Like by every indication, he was the only person who actually tried to do things in the Trump crime family, right? Um, sends texts a link to Mark Meadows. It is from a, a website called Lead Stories. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I certainly have it. They they seem to be a like discount Snopes, right? They have a blue feed and a red feed. The article is entitled. This is this is the key part. Fact check video from Georgia does not show not capital show suitcases filled with ballots suspiciously pulled from under a table. Poll watchers were not told to leave. And that 100 percent. I went I read this article debunks the conspiracy theory. You hear Trump say word for word, among a billion other things to Raffensperger on that January 3rd call. Ah, so in December, we've got Kushner texting Meadows, hey, this is bullshit, and then Trump brings it up on the January yep. 3rd call. Yep. Now, you so could... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That missing piece is, did Meadows tell Trump that this yeah. is bullshit? Or did Kushner tell Trump? I mean, like, it's not... But Meadows was on that call, wasn't he? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So... Right. That's the kind of thing. If I'm a prosecutor, I, I would want to put in front of a jury. Right. I would want to say now you're going to hear, te you know, in my in my opening statement, I would say you're going to hear testimony from those defending the president of the United States that he truly believed these conspiracy theories. But our evidence is going to show that people who knew those were false, the closest advisors, those around the president, were present at each and every one of these moments. Now, you could believe that maybe they changed their mind or they all got amnesia or nobody stood up to or this guy. Or they didn't want to stand up to Trump, right? Yep. But then yep. that puts Meadows directly in the crosshairs. Yeah, absolutely it does. And is he going to go down? Because he, he, he is the mark. Yeah, he is the mark. <laughs> all right, now, check this out. December 20th. 2020. Oh, this is God. the day after the will be wild text, right? Yep. Or tweet, excuse me. This is the pillow man to, to Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey. <laughs> I felt I was supposed to text you this message, okay? You being a man of faith on the front line of the decisions that are going to be historical, exclamation point. I would ask that you pray for wisdom and discernment from God, exclamation point. You are one of the people the president trusts the most. That's This is Pillow Man again, remember. Yep. That being said, I want to add my input. <laughs> Everything Sidney Powell has said is true. <laughs> we have got, we have to get the machines, and everything we already have proves the president won by millions of votes. I have read and not validated yet that you and others talked him out of seizing them. If true, I pray it is part of a bigger plan. I am grateful that on the night of the election, the algorithms of the corrupt machines broke 
and they realized our president would win in spite of the historical fraud. The, the algorithms realized they were going to win. Okay, good. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Sorry. And they broke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I look for deviations every day in my business. Oh, yes, the pillow deviations. <clears throat> <laughs> when I find one, well, say a pillow turns out to be a triangle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when I find one, I investigate relentlessly until I know why it happened and how it happened. Okay, the very difficult business of making pillows. Quote, this is my gift from God that has made my business so successful. From 11.15 p.m. on the night of the election, I've spent all my time running impossible deviations and numbers from this election. <laughs> impossible ones, yeah, okay. I just ran them, but so they're possible now because all things are possible with pillows and God. <laughs> I also was blessed to be able to get info and help Sidney Lynn General Flynn... What? <laughs> Sidney Lynn General Flynn and everyone else out there gathering all the massive evidence. I've been sickened by politicians, especially Republicans, judges, the media, not wanting to see the truth, no matter what tr the truth would be, <laughs> no matter what the truth is. This is the biggest cover-up of one of the worst crimes in history. I've spent over a million dollars to help uncover this fraud and use my platform so people can get the word not to give up. The people on both sides have to see the truth, and when they do, there will not be no civil war. People... <laughs> including politicians are fearing <laughs> i'm reading this word for word uh, you are you are doing heroic work here i just have to say almost done the only thing any of us should fear is fear of the lord i am afraid of fear of the lord but probably <laughs> for a slightly different reason than mike lindell <laughs> nothing to fear but fear of the lord every person on this planet needs to know the truth and see the evidence Three exclamation points. Mark dot dot. God has his hand in all of this and has put you on the front line. I will continue praying for you to have great wisdom and discernment. Blessings, Mike. Wow. Yeah. Good to know Mike Lindell is as coke-addled in private as in public. But Meadows' reply is, thanks, brother. Pray for a miracle, which is Republican for you're not helping. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> God, that... Uh, could you, this is the only point, in reading this, right, we are, we are reading, right, the evidence of a, 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 a co-conspirator with respect to the 1-6 sedition, right? Did you we, say a coke conspirator uh, Nice. No, with, with Meadows, I just meant a co-conspirator, oh, but okay. yeah. Um, it, but this is the only time in which I, I, I almost felt sorry for him. Could you imagine having to do a job where you had to get tweets like this or text messages like this, which goes on for a page and a half from Mike Lindell, and you have to reply with anything other than new phone who dis, right? Yeah. I, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, next up, December 21, next day. And this is from Representative Mo Brooks. So, you know, now again, we are getting into... Uh, some of the people who were active planners, as far as we know. This was sent to Mark Meadows and an unknown number. Would love to know who that number was. All. Mo Brooks here. Media is contacting my office about this afternoon's White House meeting regarding formulation of our January 6th strategies. Does the White House want me to reply or be mum? Also, it is one thing to discuss in general terms our meeting beforehand. It is another to discuss afterwards. If you believe discussion is a positive, I suggest message should be one, progress is being made, two, more are joining our fight, 
Three, we can't allow voter fraud and election theft occur. If we are going to be a republic, your choice, let me know. Does that strike you? Hmm. Mo Brooks, the guy who wore the Kevlar vest to the (laughs) rally, wants to know, do you want me to pipe up or you want me to stay quiet? About January 6th strategies? Uh, Okay, so first of all, I'm trying to figure out what the hell he's talking about. He, okay, so the media is contacting him about this these strategy meetings, and he's basically asking Meadows, "Do you want me to tell the media what's happening, or do you want me to stay quiet about it?" Uh, and uh, we should talk beforehand, and we should talk. These should be our thing. These these should be our message, I guess. Yeah. On January sixth. Um. Wow. This guy. <laughs> It, 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 you know, it's a trail of breadcrumbs, right? And and yeah. this is this is why I, I'm glad I'm glad we're doing. I would need it. to know who that other phone number is. Yep. It, it, you know, folks who were saying it again, right? You and I are on team. Let's indict Donald Trump. But I, I, I again, I just want you to think about that, right? Like you, you take a text message like this. Is this if it were not Donald Trump? Would you feel comfortable putting this unambiguously in front of a jury and saying, well, obviously that's coordination for the riots on 1-6? No, um, no, because the January 6th strategy could be to throw the electors out. Yep. It, it, there's, there's lots of things that, you know, sort of the way in which you as a lawyer, you as a prosecutor put together the best case you can, right, is by having multiply duplicative, overwhelming evidence so that when somebody invents something pretextual to explain this one, right? It's like, oh, no, when we said January 6th strategies, we meant like, how were we going to file a lawsuit in order to do whatever, right? Which perfectly legal thing to do. And then you say, oh, so you're saying this text was about filing a lawsuit. Okay. Then you put the next one up, which says lawsuits are off the table, right? You know what I mean? Like you, you that that's how you do that. And right. and without without fully understanding and having access to all of that evidence, it's it's really tough to uh, to rule out alternative explanations. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, all right. Next up. I mean, we can we can clearly <laughs> see he's an idiot. Yeah. But um, that's not a crime, sadly. All right. December 31st, 2020. Marjorie Taylor Greene to Mark Meadows. Good morning, Mark. I'm here in D.C. We have to get organized for the 6th. I would like to meet with Rudy Giuliani again. We didn't get to speak with him long. Also, anyone who can help. We are getting a lot of members on board, and we need to lay out the best case for each state. I'll be over at the CPI this afternoon. Now, what what this says to me, lay out the best case for each state to send in their fake electors. That's certainly how I read that. And this is the first piece of information I have seen connecting... Marjorie Taylor Greene pre one six, you know, to to those folks. And again, right. This is crucial to show it. it we got our hands tipped, uh, you know, uh, early on uh, in about September of last year, thanks to Bob Woodward, when we saw in the ultimate draft of the Eastman memo, you know, the well, let's we'll have a senator like Ted Cruz file an objection. And it's like, 
that that raised the question. You know, you asked me at the time, like, why why would you put Ted Cruz in there if you hadn't talked to Ted Cruz in advance, right? Um, and and that throws into doubt uh, their their cover story, which we know has been false, but but it throws into doubt, you know, their story that um, you know that that we just believe that this crazy random happenstance just happened to come about on on one six. No, ah, but when yeah. you put it all together, especially when you're talking about the seven state. Yeah. Thing where you've got the whole DOJ guys writing the letters. You got Clark writing the letters to, trying to say that you're under investigation. So you we're going to have the slates of electors. Then you've got the Eastman thing. And then, you know, you've you've got all of the you've got the Navarro and the Green Bay sweep. You've got all these members texting about it. We're trying to reach out to the states. You've got Rudy and that team all trying to reach out to the state legislatures and false electors. You've got 26 of the false electors signing onto Kraken lawsuits. Um, you know, you've, I mean, there's just so much um, evidence that they knew about it ahead of time, particularly with Mike Pence changing the language on the, on the well of the Senate floor before mm-hmm. he counted the electoral votes, that he got the call at 11 whatever that morning that we don't quite, there's haven't pieced together yet, but mostly have where he, where Trump asked him one more time and he said, no, I'm not going through with it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, like you said, it's the totality of all that stuff together um, that that makes that makes a difference. But all these little texts like this one from MTG add <laughs> to that pile. Right. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. So what do we got? Who do we got? <laughs> these are my favorite. This is late night, the evening of January 2nd, uh, spilling over to the morning of January 3rd. And it is. Um, White House uh, spokesperson Katrina Pearson, <laughs> and I, 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 as a lawyer, like one of the things you you love is when you capture somebody in a moment of such candor that like there's just no question that what they're saying is correct, right? So, <laughs> so here's late at night on one two, uh, or I guess it starts in the afternoon, right? Good afternoon. Would you mind giving me a call regarding this January 6th event? Things have gotten crazy and I desperately need some direction, please. Then there's no response. Then there's the next one. Scratch that. Caroline Wren has decided to move forward with the original psycho list. (laughs) Apparently, Dan Scavino approved multiple question marks. Next text. So I'm done. I can't be a part of embarrassing POTUS any further. And then uh, following up on that, I I let her know I was going to reach out to the White House and her tone changed. So I'll continue to build a proper event (laughs) to which Mark Meadows finally replies. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So what do you what do you make of this? So she's like panicking. She's like, what the hell is going on with this event? Things are crazy. I need your assistance, please. Yeah, I, I I am dying to know what the original psycho list is. I mean, yeah. you know, given that the one six speakers who actually were there were pretty psychotic. Right? Yeah, and then she says, apparently Dan Scavino approved. Yeah. Does that mean Dan Scavino was approved to be on it or did Dan Scavino approved of the psycho list? I, 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 I interpreted that as saying Scavino approved of that list. Uh-huh. Right. And then she goes, no, I'm done. I can't be part of this. Yeah. And then she goes, well, you know what? Uh, second thought. Um, I let her know 
I guess her being Caroline Wren. I, that's how I interpret that as well. I don't know. I was going to reach out to the White House and her tone changed. So she's maybe not going with the original psycho list now. I- so <laughs> I'll continue to build a proper event. So who, yeah, who was on the psycho? Did the psycho list change? I, you know, it is. I, those are things that we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But but here's here's what we do know. We know Katrina Pearson was subpoenaed by, appeared, showed up, and produced documents to the one six committee. Right. So this is a thing that can be cross checked and verified. Um, Caroline Wren is listed as a VIP advisor on her rally permit for the 1-6 rally at the Ellipse. Um, she was also subpoenaed by the 1-6 committee uh, and was deposed under oath. Both, uh, under oath. She was deposed under oath. Uh, both uh, she and Katrina Pearson have given formal depositions under oath, under penalty of perjury. Um, the 1-6 committee has not released any of those to the public yet, and I would very much like to see them. Yeah, that would be nice. All right, next up, January 5th. January 5th from uh, Gymnasium Jordan to Mark Meadows. Quote, on January 6th, Vice President Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all in accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial precedents. Quote, no legislative act wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth, that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Oh, the statute is not a law at all is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Okay, so basically he's saying no law can, that's against the Constitution can be a law. That, uh, that by the way, that... Non-controversial and correct. Yep, yep. So following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all. That doesn't, that's like saying, following this rationale, I will eat nothing but ice cream for the next seven days, right? Like, it, it is it is as much a non sequitur as that crazy ice cream thing that I just made up, right? Like, the difference between, uh, A, None of the electors were unconstitutionally appointed in any there, there. There's not even an argument for that. That's not even present in the Eastman memos. B, you could you could be appointed in a manner that is unconstitutional. And that's not the same as a law because a law has a continuing effect. Right. Yeah, and and none of the electors, by the way, were appointed unconstitutionally. Well, of course not. Of course not. I mean, this is this is this is beyond bizarre. But like the idea that y- you would take a basic, so it is a basic hornbook principle of law. If a law is unconstitutional, it isn't a law. That's literally all that the fancy Alexander Hamilton and citation to Hubbard v. Lowe, a 1916 case, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I concur. I concur. Yeah, I, it, that's right. An unconstitutional statute is not a law anymore. That is very true. That provides you zero basis for. Is that like all the millions of times somebody writes a law and then the somebody sues about it and then the court overturns it like that? Yeah. It, okay. it, yeah. If if the law is unconstitutional, it's not really a law. That cool. is not 
surprising that it, yeah all right oh by the way yeah yeah meadows reply to that screed was i have pushed for this not sure it is going to happen well he just right there admitted that he's part of an illegal conspiracy i i i, I think that's right that's I, so it, funny it, it, uh, and yeah, then I'm not sure it's going to happen because Pence was like, fuck you. I'm yep. not doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> and, and, he, and Meadows didn't say, hey, we found out this isn't uh, legal. No. The whole thing you just said. He didn't no. say that on no. January 5th. Um, all right. I tell you what, I want to get into some January 6th tweets, but we have to take a quick break. Yep. Uh, so everybody, we will be right back with the uh, the money shot. Stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG. Today's show is brought to you by Feels CBD. If you haven't tried it yet, I highly recommend CBD. It isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel, like stress and anxiety and pain. Feels is a better way to feel better. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And with Feels, there's no hangover or even the possibility of addiction. It's a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. And to find the perfect dosage, just call the Feels Free CBD Hotline to help guide your personal experience. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. You know I've tried a ton of supplements over the years. I really like that Feels is the safe, natural method to relieve pain, nervousness, and sleeplessness without harmful side effects. It's helped me so much with insomnia and anxiety, and I know it'll help you too. Feels Monthly Membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. Go to feels.com slash cleanup and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup. And everyone, thanks for joining us today. We're brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's one of my new favorite podcasts. The Jordan Harbinger Show has captivating in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds like Barbara Boxer or Anderson Cooper. The show features Feedback Friday, an episode to respond to listener questions about everything from conventional conundrums like asking for a raise at work to doozies like helping a family member escape a cult. On The Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll learn amazing insights from heavy-hitting interviews with people like General Michael Hyden, a former head of the NSA and CIA, on why security clearance of former classified leadership matters, why the intelligence community needs to know if it can relay uncomfortable truths to the administration without fear of retribution or reprisal, and the way forward in the midst of the current political climate. And that's just the beginning. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Just search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's Jordan, H-A-R, binge R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. All right, Andrew, what do we got on January 6th with these tweets? Yeah, and this is really interesting to me. So lots of tweets flying fast and furious on January 6th, including from the people who helped make this possible, right? So beginning, Marjorie Taylor Greene to Mark Meadows. Mark, I was just told there's an active shooter on the first floor of the Capitol. Please tell the president to calm people. This isn't the way to solve anything. So sh shucker, right? It's all fun yeah. and games until somebody has a gun pointed in your direction. And I do want to point out, a lot of people are saying that this proves that that she committed perjury recently in her deposition uh, before an administrative law judge in Georgia to determine her eligibility to be on the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Uh, because, Mark, I was told there's an active shooter on the first floor. Please tell the president to calm people. This won't solve anything. 
And people say that this contradicts her statements saying, I thought it was Antifa that was, you know, storming the Capitol, etc. But because she said, please tell the president to calm people, that somehow shows that she didn't think they were Antifa. I disagree with that. I think it's I think it might be clear to you and me that the president can't tell Antifa, like, <laughs> tell the president to calm people. He's probably not going to be able to calm Antifa, right, if, if they existed. Uh, and so, because my defense here would be, yeah, the president, I wanted the president to tell, to calm the people, all of the people, all of the Antifa and MAGA, whoever it was. I wanted the president to calm them, the people. So I don't really see how that puts her in any kind of uh, legal perjury jeopardy. Uh, about her saying that she felt it was Antifa on the floor. Now, other texts might, yeah. but I don't think this one does. <laughs> I, I I think that reading is exactly correct. I mean, do, remember, we used to have presidents that you, you would turn to to be a voice of calm during times of national crisis, right? And that it is that is a perfectly plausible reading. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, spoiler, you know, we we will get to the Antifa text later on. Um, yeah, but here just as it stands, yeah, it's no. like, no, yeah, I wanted to tell everyone to go home. Right. Antifa and everybody, because he's yep. the president. He can do that. He's, that. he's got the biggest megaphone in America. Yep. Uh, all right. What's uh, what's next from uh, my favorite fucking guy? <laughs> Mick yeah. Mulvaney. There's a lot of these, right? So, yeah. So Mick Mulvaney says, Mark. He needs to stop this now. Can I do anything to help? Right. Um, Maybe move their jobs across country, Mark. Yeah. Mick. Sorry. <laughs> Mick yeah. Do we have another beloved American institution you can bankrupt and then loot? Uh, right. cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barry Loudermilk says it's really, really bad up here on the hill. They've breached the Capitol. And then Meadows writes back to Loudermilk. He says POTUS is engaging. And Loudermilk says, thanks. This doesn't help our cause. Um, there's a lot of this, right? William Timmons writes, the president needs to stop this ASAP. And Meadows writes back, we're doing it. And then the the one that we know, because we saw, uh, you know, before everybody got their story straight, um, you know, we saw public communications from Donald Trump Jr. Uh, <laughs> I love I love the fact that, like, he can't get a hold of dad, right? Like, you got to go through Mark Meadows. Oh, he says he doesn't. He's not loved. He's the fail son. <laughs> He's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. This is one you go to the mattresses on. They will try to F his entire legacy on this if it gets worse. Yeah. Woohoo. And I don't think, of course, Priebus texts also tell them to go home. Yep. Now, it's been, it's been, the question's been asked. Could they have all gotten together and say, let's all text Trump like we're shocked about the violence so that it seems like we weren't expecting it. I don't feel that. I, I agree with that. I don't feel that. I still think that Trump might have known there could be violence and might have incited the violence, but I, I don't think, I think that was just on him. Yeah. I, I think like any narcissist and Donald Trump is a textbook example of a narcissist. And I mean that in the clinical sense of other people are not people to him. Right. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I think he just didn't care. Right. It was like, this is my next move in risk. Right. Like I'm going to, I'm going to come out and I, you know, like rile up the people and they're going to go down and stuff's going to happen. And you know, 
whatever, so long as we stop the certification of the electors on January 6th. Right. And 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 that, you know, you do not have to prove as a matter of obstructing an official proceeding that you intended for violence to to be the result. Right. No. And as a matter of fact, you could say, hey, we're going to go down to the Capitol Maybe there could be violence, maybe there couldn't, and you go and watch and you see it and you like it and you don't do anything about it. I mean, there's also that, right? It's kind of like that whole concept of what premeditation is and how it can happen in a moment. Yeah. You know, Uh, it doesn't have to happen over weeks and months or days or even hours or minutes. It can happen as it's happening, as you've got your knee on the neck of somebody and your intent changes to murder them. It's... I that's sort of what I pick up from kind of how I feel Trump what Trump did that day. I I I think that's a really perceptive observation, right? That that you can frame and evidence that intent and and the again remember the the standard in the statute is corruptly intends, right? So when did the intent become corrupt? And I think as you point out, right? My argument would be the intent becomes corrupt at the moment that you know you're doing something that breaks the law, right? Mm-hmm. A- a- and and so, you know, we've been focusing on, you know, the public defense that Trump is going to give. Well, may- maybe, right? Maybe in December he thought he was just sort of puzzling through things. But I think the question is, yeah, go go ahead. We, and another thing that these texts, this barrage of stop it, it's out of control, things are getting crazy, condemn this shit. One thing that these texts don't preclude is that there could have been a plan to delay the certification with protests. Yep, okay? absolutely. And that is also obstructing an official yep. proceeding. The, the by force part is what makes it a seditious conspiracy. Yep. Okay, uh, and so you still have that, like, he sent them to the Capitol to delay the vote count, violence or not, doesn't matter. You're obstructing an official proceeding. Now, you need that by force thing that the Oath Keepers have and the Proud Boys probably have in order to call it seditious conspiracy. And Trump might have that, too, when you stop caring about the fact that there's violence and don't make a phone call to anybody about it. But we'll see how how and if and when the DOJ works that out. Yeah, I, I, I think you have analyzed that exactly correctly. Thank you. All right. Immediately afterwards, we get into damage control text Mm. messages. Jason Miller to Mark Meadows and Dan Scafino, by the way. Call me crazy. All right. Deal, Jason Miller. You're crazy. Uh, Call me crazy, but ideas for two tweets from POTUS. One, bad apples, likely Antifa or other crazed leftists infiltrated today's peaceful protest over the fraudulent vote count. Violence is never acceptable. MAGA supporters embrace our police and the rule of law and should leave the Capitol now. Or two, and, you know, it just occurs to me, they might have also been hoping Antifa, quote unquote, or BLM, quote unquote, showed up so that there would be violence that would delay this vote for, count. For, for counter protests. Yeah, that that is the the Westboro Baptist Church playbook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so perhaps when there were no Antifa, they were like, uh oh, what do we do? <laughs> now we'll, we'll send them after Pence anyway. Second option, the fake news media who encouraged this summer's violent and radical riots are now trying to blame peaceful and innocent MAGA supporters for violent actions. This is, isn't who we are. Our people should head home and let the criminals suffer the consequences. Now, the hard part here is 
he says ideas for two tweets let's blame <laughs> antifa and let's blame the media and you know for the uh, blm antifa let's blame them nothing in here indicates that he doesn't believe that's true do you know what i mean he's not saying hey let's lie to the people and say it's antifa he just says here's some ideas for text messages it was antifa <laughs> yeah i it it y- you know you have to you have to read the tweet. I mean, to me, it is, oh, well, like, who who can we blame? Who do we always blame? Antifa crazed leftists. Uh, you know, do you have any evidence? But 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 I think what's maybe um, the other aspect that's really interesting here is that both of these tweets shift blame onto Antifa, but have uh, as an important component something that the president did not actually do on January 6th, which was, if you're a MAGA supporter, leave the Capitol now, right? So so number one says, leave the Capitol now. Number two says, our people should head home and mm-hmm. let the criminals suffer the consequences. And so when I read this, I see this as somebody who was was definitely not in on any inner circle negotiations about, um, you know, hey, man. <laughs> Maybe they'll uh, all blow up and we can actually like stop what's happening here and is looking and going, what can I say that this nitwit of a president might actually pick up on Mm. and actually get, you know, the thousands of Republicans, Trump supporters to leave the Capitol and stop breaking (laughs) shit. Yeah. Ah, uh, so it's like, how do I trick the president into telling everyone to go home? Yeah, blame it on Antifa. And by the way, let's get our guys out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next up, Marjorie Taylor Greene to Meadows on this. This is afterwards, right? <laughs> this is cleanup. Mark, we don't think these attackers are our people. We think they're Antifa dressed like Trump supporters. Louis Gohmert to Mark Meadows. Capitol Police told me last night. No, they didn't. That they'd been warned that today there'd be a lot of Antifa dressed in red Trump shirts and hats and would likely get violent. Good that Trump denounces violence, but could add and well demand justice for those who became violent and well get, I think he means we'll get I to think the he bottom does, yeah. of what group they're with. Mm-hmm. Mm. And again, right, as you point out, any one of these, could you say, no, I seriously believed it was Antifa, you know, dressed up like shamans. You could say that, right? But when multiple sources come back with the let's blame Antifa and Louis Gohmert says something that you can prove is demonstrably false, right? There was no Capitol Police report to Louis fucking Gohmert that <laughs> there was going to be Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters on one side. That doesn't make a lick of sense. You know, anyway, that that's how you discredit that as being potentially true. Yeah. All right. What do we have next? We have a... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, this is about a week later, right? Yep. January 13th, Jason Miller to Meadows, Kushner, and Scavino. And and, and again, the, the, you have pointed this out, right? Scavino shows up a lot more in this than I, I would have otherwise expected, right, from a comms guy. So, you know, this is somebody who may have been more active than we knew. Well, when you can get a, somebody to support your bullshit, you keep them on the team. Well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the Jeff Clark explanation, which, by the way, we're not going through every single one of these. There is, uh, you know, there's back and forth over Clark. And I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, treasure trove in these uh, in these docs. But January 13th, Jason Miller, I tried to walk the president through this earlier, but he won't have any of it. Two thirds of the MAGA base wants us to move on. 
And then he quotes a poll here. And the poll is, do you believe there was election and voter fraud? Total 48, Trump voters 82. Do you think there was enough election and voter fraud that Trump may have, that Trump may have actually won the electoral vote? Total 42, Trump voters 74. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? The election has been decided and President Trump should move on and focus on ensuring a peaceful and orderly transition. Total 81, Trump voters 67, GOP voters 71. Now that is what Jason Miller is trying to convey here is conventional political wisdom, right? Yes, somebody may 100% agree with you. They may say 82% think there was voter fraud. 74% thinks you actually won the election of your voters. But 67% of your voters want you to just take the loss and, and go home. You know, that is you watch strike three in, you know, game seven of the World Series. And it's a terrible call. And you think it's a terrible call. And you will forever hate Jim West for making a terrible call. <laughs> right? Like, but but you don't storm the field. You don't you don't dox Jim West and go to his house and string him up in the you say, all right, like sucks that the World Series ends this way. We got hosed on that call. Let's go home. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jason Miller is trying to say. Let's be the party of let's go home. And <laughs> and, 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 and presumably to an audience that is not ready to be the party of let's go home. I tried to walk the president through this earlier, but he won't have any of it hmm. our base wants us to move on wow interesting of course they did not um january 17th marjorie taylor green to mark meadows in our private chat with only members uh that's not members only it's, different. <laughs> uh, it's only members Ooh, an mtg members only yeah <laughs> <laughs> several are saying the only way to save our republic is for trump to call for martial law misspelled <laughs> Uh, Marshall's Law. She wants to get a members-only jacket from Marshall's, I think is what she's trying to say. Uh, I don't know on those things. <clears throat> I just wanted you to... I don't know on those things. On you, those things. You just don't know. I just wanted you to tell him. They stole this election. We all know. They will destroy our country next. Please tell him to declassify as much as possible so we can go after Biden and anyone else. So... And that kind of makes it sound like she really thinks this election was stolen. Yeah, well, I find it very easy to believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is just that dumb. I, you know, it's I I would not want to have to prosecute Marjorie Taylor Greene for anything. Um, and she was clearly not a part of the decision making. I mean, not you know, but would you would you trust Marjorie Taylor Greene to you know play any part in the conspiracy? Right? She. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you stay here and guard? That's the most important job. Yeah. You just object to the electors. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last one in the tranche from our good friend, Sean Hannity, uh, sending out a tweet from the recount. Uh, and that that tweet is a link to the video of Mitch McConnell uh, saying capital insurrectionists were provoked by the president and other powerful people. Huh. And, uh, you know, again, I, is is anything in this entire tranche a smoking gun? I don't think so. Right. But I think taken together, it shows you the job of the one six committee, which is to take all this stuff together. So, yeah, and put it all together and, and yeah. figure out what, what went on and 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 most importantly, how to prevent it from happening again. Yep. Which is their mission. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, maybe shoring up that old Presidential Records Act would help. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it might maybe. be nice. <laughs> All right, and uh, before we get out of here, I know we're at an hour now, but I really wanted to just tell you really quickly about uh, a little filing that came out in the Durham-Sussman case, which Ooh. we've been following very closely on this show. And, Andrew, I had a couple questions for you. All right, let's, so let's do it. So if we pull this filing up here, it's just a six-pager, right? It's pretty, it's not too wordy. Uh, but basically, you know, we everyone should be caught up if they listen to last week's cleanup on aisle 45. And there was a bunch of evidence that Sussman and Sussman's lawyers did not want to be entered. And there was a, a some expert testimony they wanted to exclude as well from Durham's side. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that in Durham's conspiracy theory filings, he said all of that data that was collected on the Alpha Bank server, it was all c- collected wrongly and it was corrupt data and it was uh, wrong and Sussman knew it was wrong. And that goes to the materiality of Sussman telling Jim Baker that he was not there representing any specific client. Somehow that's how they make the, dis- the connection. I personally don't see it. I think the from previous filings, the judge was like, okay, whatever, but the, you got to prove it in court so we can't just dismiss the case. Now, here, here he comes in and says, look, Sussman, he's charged with this single count. The false statement charged in the indictment does not relate to the substance of the, sh- of the shared material. It doesn't relate to it, but rather to Sussman's alleged erroneous statement that he was not attending the meeting on behalf of a client, which is kind of what I just explained. Uh, he says the parties have filed a bevy of pretrial evidentiary <laughs> motions. <laughs> which we covered last week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Sussman's request, the court has expedited argument on two issues that bear on the preparation of his defense. We're going, we're doing this fast because this has to do with prepping for your defense. One, Sussman's motion in limine to preclude evidence regarding the gathering or accuracy of the data provided by the FBI. And two, Sussman's motion to exclude the government's proposed expert witness testimony. So that's what they want to eliminate. Anything that has to do with the gathering or accuracy of the data because they argue Sussman thought the data was gathered in, in good faith and that it was good data, right? Uh, leave it to the FBI. I just want to let them know about it. And then also this expert witness who's going to testify as to the accuracy uh, of the data and how it was gathered. Uh, so they say the court will grant in part and deny in part, which is pretty much always what happens. <laughs> The court reserves certain issues for further evaluation after this week's hearing on the remainder of your evidentiary motions, but we're going to get these out first. Now, uh, they start with the motion to preclude the introduction of evidence about how the data that Sussman provided to the FBI was gathered, the accuracy of the data, and purportedly related information in the dossier put together by Christopher Steele. Yep. What? Okay. (laughs) Nothing to do with it. The court will reserve judgment on much of this motion. But, uh, however, whether to and what extent the court will allow in evidence the data's accuracy uh, bears directly on Sussman's request to, to the proposed, government's proposed expert testimony, right? So with respect to those two things, we'll grant the motion in part, deny in part. Um, so beginning with the, the parties, um, concessions narrows the field of play considerably, significantly. And, and they, they, they go on for a minute here. Um, and we get, we get to the, the juice of this. For the first question, the court will permit the government to put on evidence reflecting the FBI's ultimate conclusions of their investigation, which the court understands to be that Alpha Bank allegations were unsubstantiated, and also will let you do particular investigative and analytical steps that the FBI took to reach them, 
because we want to see if if what Sussman told to, said to Baker had any influence on those particular investigative analytical steps. Would you have done this differently? Would you have approached this differently? Uh, such evidence is relevant to materiality in that way. Now, some of the evidence the government discussed in the recent hearing does not fall into these permissible categories. In particular, the court will not allow representatives of the companies who maintain the servers that purportedly received communications from Alpha Bank to testify about their involvement in the FBI investigation. So they can't. Contrary to Durham's feelings, (laughs) this evidence does not appear to be probative of why the FBI took the investigative steps it did. So you can't have that. And then, for the same reasons, the court will not allow extensive discussions on other federal agencies' investigations into the same data. That's the CIA stuff, right? You can't do it for one. You can't do it for the other. I can't. I won't allow it. And then, finally, uh, the, the court takes a moment to explain what could open the door for further evidence about the accuracy of the data Sussman provided to the FBI. And he says here... Only if Sussman opens this door mm-hmm. can you talk about the accuracy of the data. If Sussman finds the need to prove the data is accurate, then, Durham, you can bring in your evidence from experts about whether or not the data is accurate. But only if Sussman opens that door. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, Durham. And then <laughs> also, because your witness is going to testify to that shit, you can't have him testify to any of that either unless Sussman brings it up. Uh, now, what your what your expert testimony guy can testify to is like, you know, the basics of what the data are, uh, how basically it's gathered and stuff like that. But you, you can't go into the accuracy or the dodginess of it or whether you think it's bunk because unless Sussman feels the need to prove that it's rad. Right. And I think that that's a, a really I think that's a really solid decision to, to, to give it to the defense to open that door and say, sorry, Durham, you can't bring any of that stuff in unless Sussman wants it brought in. Yeah, I think I think you have read this ruling exactly correctly. So so let's take a step back. There were numerous uh, motions in lemonade, motions in lemonade uh, to keep out testimony. Right. And the biggest reason. Right. As Sussman's lawyers is. You know, because Durham has treated all of the pretrial proceedings as a dog and pony show to make right wing talking points for the benefit of Sean Hannity, that that's exactly what they're going to do at trial. And so Sussman's lawyers filed these two motions in limine to say, Judge, come on, don't I, I don't let them put on like three days of witnesses about the steel dossier because it doesn't have anything to do with whether my client violated 1001, right? Like that, that cannot be the case. Um, and, uh, and then secondarily, like, and you know, are, are we really going to go into like the details of the alpha bank server and the connection to the Trump campaign and all that? Like, this is just going to be relitigating right wing talking points about the 2016 election and the court. And Sussman isn't a data analyst. He no. doesn't understand how data is gathered from these servers or what it even means. Uh, he relies on the expertise of others and and then says, wow, this doesn't look good. Just like the rest of the country said, wow, this looks bad. And right. just went to the FBI. I'm going to go to the said, FBI and this report This could it. be bad. Yeah. Uh, whether I'm representing the Clinton campaign or not, if even if he said he was, which everybody knew he was, uh, but even if he 
I don't, he wasn't for this particular thing, but even if he was, that is not illegal, nor is collecting the steel dossier information from Fusion GPS, which is why they filed their little amicus brief. But uh, it's, yeah, so I, I think that this is a, this is good. It's like, hey, Sussman, if you feel the need to prove your data is accurate, you're going to need experts and so are the, so is the government. So we'll go there, but you have to open that door. Otherwise, not allowed. And that's, this is, you know, as we talked about, the way in which motions in limine typically get resolved, uh, unless they are incredibly one-sided, the judge reserves on those, right? This is exactly what we said last week. And the judge does not want to say, I don't want to say that uh, the Steele dossier, although he basically says, look, you're not going to put on anything about the Steele dossier, uh, uh, or questions about the accuracy of the Alpha Bank server. I'm not going to say that they are out per se, but here's what the judge says, right? He says, here's the way in which they, they're not going to come in. Okay. Sussman would not open the door to further evidence about the accuracy of the data, right? That's what we're talking about. Simply by seeking to establish that he reasonably believed the data were accurate and relied on his associates representations that there were, that they were such a defense theory could allow the government to introduce evidence tending to show that his belief was not reasonable, for instance, facially obvious shortcomings in the data or information received by Sussman indicating relevant deficiencies, but it would not open the door to a lengthy and complex exploration of the underlying data. That's mm -hmm. exactly what it should be. So in other words... Yeah, and that's why, that's why the judge said, look, hey, Durham, if you can prove that Sussman knew that this was corrupt BS on its face then you have you can prove that then we can open that door if you can't prove that sorry charlie it's irrelevant well and and it is why i'm glad even though i know we're we're running super late we got to bring the show to a close <laughs> but i'm glad we're doing this as a bookend because this is the rights version of what we just went through for half an hour right mm -hmm. what does it take to demonstrate that somebody says i believe in x but they really know that it's nonsense right and mm -hmm. and and here's the dividing line between the two. Like, it, it seems, and again, not just because of my political orientation, which is well known, but speaking as a lawyer, it seems very plausible that Sussman believed in the Alpha Bank Trump campaign connection. Um, he may have even believed in the validity of the Steele dossier. I have serious questions about the Steele dossier, right? Mm, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's raw dossier uh, stuff, dude. Right. Who, who does it, right? That's that's part of the definition of oppo research is you know that, you know, some of it is, uh, you know, probably not worth pursuing. Yeah. Steele was like, it's probably 70, 80 percent accurate. This is the raw human intelligence. Here right. you go. Mm -hmm. um, and so the difference between that and changing your story immediately upon you know multi oh no there's definitely antifa that was dressed up right like that that that's the distinction between that so the court is going to allow the prosecution to introduce evidence that uh sussman didn't believe what he said to the fbi but i don't think you have anything to be worried about on that because <laughs> it's clear that sussman and it's clear that sussman did believe that he was turning over valid information right like if if i give you fake information you know it's fake and you go to the fbi yeah that's that's a real problem that's um, an actual 1001 yeah that is <laughs> right. absolutely i i think I, my favorite thing is i learned a new case today uh i learned united states v libby 
Uh-huh. And I think my favorite thing is they said, you know, the court will not risk confusing the jury and wasting time on largely irrelevant or tangential issues. They say U.S. v. Libby, quote, any possible minimal probative value that would be derived is far outweighed by the waste of time and diversion of the jury's attention away from the actual issues. That is Rule 403 of the Federal Rules of Evidence, and um, it is something every trial lawyer knows well. It is one of the most common objections uh, that the, the uh, that that comes up in terms of you know when you can introduce something that is true, but you know in the words of Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, it's devastating to my case. Yeah. Um, there, yeah, there are times when you exclude that, right? Yeah, and you can't just waste time. I mean, I yep. feel like it's sort of the judicial equivalent of the writer's room. Yep. Like, you're just going to bore the shit out of everybody with this whole segment. We just it's, It doesn't have anything to do with the plot, so let's cut it. You don't... John Durham knows that there is zero chance of him getting a conviction here mm-hmm. uh, on Sussman. He wants to turn the, the this trial into a traveling a circus. And uh, and the question is, how well, right, Sussman's lawyers have two tasks. I mean, you know, they, they're hired to do one thing. The one thing they are hired to do is, uh, you know, get an acquittal for their client. Uh, but they're also cognizant of the fact that an acquittal for their client in the middle of a circus that is terrible for the country, right, is is also not what they want. And and. Like, that's not fair. Like, they shouldn't have to also be worried about preserving the Republic. But, you know, here we are. Mm, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for letting me get that little bit out there. Absolutely. That, that made me happy today. Yep. Yeah, just that you're, you're wasting your time. You don't waste anyone's time with your frivolous crap. Uh, end quote. Um. So that is the show. Everybody, again, don't forget, Friday the 13th. Woo! We're going to have at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, a Zoom call for patrons. You can sign up at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. Andrew, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? Thanks. Also, just I want to, my final thought is thanks to everybody for hanging in for an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I have a brief 25-minute closing statement, but I'm going to postpone that one to our next episode. Sounds good. Yeah. I remember when I was doing comedy and they'd be like, when do you want the light, right? They give you the light. Most people get the light with a minute left in their set. Uh, and I would always be like, uh, oh, give it to me with 15 minutes. I have a 15 minute closer. And I'd be like, shut up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so That's what you reminded me of. Everybody, we'll see you next time. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. Cleanup on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Cleanup on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money. 
that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.